What's going on, guys? This is episode number 83 of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. Alex Average Poach back again. So we got a lot of topics to talk about today. I was originally going to do mostly Yankees, but Giants is also incorporated because of all the uh, Deshaun Watson talk, the Twitter drama, the YouTube drama. Um, I'm sorry if I look a little weird. This is the first time I'm doing with a green screen. I just got it. I think it was yesterday. Um, but this is the first time I'm doing it. You know, with the backgrounds and stuff. So if it looks a little shady, if it looks a little terrible, I apologize. Um, but let's go into everything. So for the last few days, and obviously Deshaun Watson requested a trade from the Houston Texans. And from the beginning, even before he requested a trade, I said I wasn't entertaining any of that. Because A, the Giants are not involved per sources. B, it's the Jets... The Panthers, the Broncos maybe. There's a lot of teams involved that want to get Watson. Look, Watson is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Unfortunately, Bill O'Brien and all those guys, they could not find talent to put around him and traded the talent they had around him. Being DeAndre Hopkins, and now they want to trade Watson. Well, they don't want to trade him, at least Nick Casario said. Um, There's certain amount of leverage there when it comes to Watson and when it comes to the Texans but that's like another video another topic um but let's get into the Twitter drama revolving around the Giants fan base and just like you know just around the drama and I don't usually assess this in my podcast episodes I usually just go about it or I'll ignore it or I'll talk about it on Twitter but I won't talk about it on here so um It really started when ESPN co-host Chris Carlin, right? He made a video that said, well, the Giants should go after Deshaun Watson and the Jets, you know, the Giants have a better shot and they have a better purpose too. Which I immediately said that that was a stupid opinion and um, I respect opinions, but at the same time, when you're making some stuff like that, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And, um, you know... He was like saying, or somebody else said, trade Daniel Jones, trade Saquon Barkley, and two first-round picks. Um, First of all, we do not have the draft capital. Second of all, I'm not giving up Saquon Barkley in a trade like that for a quarterback. Nor am I giving up Daniel Jones. Sure, if the Texans accept that, it might be a steal. But that's not something I'm entertaining, once again. Because we're talking about, oh, uh, you know, the offense is built around Saquon. The offense, you know, we need a wide receiver. Well, how the hell are you going to get that when you give up first-round picks and Saquon Barkley? This offense is literally built around Saquon. Jason Garrett, he couldn't adjust last year when Saquon went down. So what are you to tell me that, oh, we're not going to have any running backs under contract next year because we're going to trade Saquon Barkley? No, that's a stupid opinion. And the other point I brought up to him, because he actually replied to me, and I'll give him his credit there. A lot of these beat reporters and these media people and the pundits, they go out there, they'll say something, but then they won't reply. I'm not a Twitter bully. I'm not out to insult people. But when you're wrong, you're wrong. And I literally said, are the Giants in that situation? In that situation, are they willing to take on, A, his contract, because I think it's 37, 37, 35, I don't know. It's in that range. He gets paid $10 million this year, I believe. That's Watson. And then the next couple of years, it's like, I don't know, $35 million. Something around that range. Are the Giants seriously in there to do that? 
I've done cap videos before this offseason. Talking about Leonard Williams. Talking about the pass rush. Talking about this just the spherical situation that the Giants are in because of the pandemic. We're expected to have negative $3 million going into free agency. Who do we need to cut? We need to cut Solder. We need to cut Zeitler. We need to cut Tate and a bunch of other guys. But no, let's go on and take on a $37 million contract. Now I get it. He's only being paid $10 million this year. But that's not thought out. Sure, the Giants could have all this cap in 2022. But right now, I'm looking for Daniel Jones to develop. And you could call me a Daniel Jones fanboy or say this or say that. I'm not going to take it because it's not true. I've criticized Daniel Jones in a lot of situations. But we're talking about, you know, trading for Watson. Meanwhile, other people are saying, oh, you know, Gettleman's bad at trading. So why do you want him to trade for that? And the same people, which is going to lead me into my Giants community point, were saying, oh, the Giants should trade for Stephon Diggs. Giants should trade for Jalen Ramsey. This is at the deadline last year, meaning 2019. I know it seems like, you know, we're still in the 2020 season because the Super Bowl is on Sunday, next Sunday. But Cop Pizzle did call them out in one of the videos he had, which is probably one of his most entertaining videos. I'll get to that in a minute. But I will always acknowledge when someone is a good player in the NFL. Watson, he's one of the best QBs. Jalen Ramsey, one of the best corners. Stephon Diggs, with Buffalo, one of the best wide receivers, if not the best. Because it was him and Devontae Adams that basically showed up this year. Hopkins, yes, but did you feel the same way about Hopkins that you did, you know, about the other two receivers I just mentioned? No, you didn't. At least I didn't. I'm sorry. So this leads me into my Giants fan base point. So, as I said, I basically called out Chris Carlin on Twitter because it was in, you know, it was in a thread of tweets and whatever. So, obviously, Clapback Sports, shout outs to them. They were calling, you know, the fake media guys out. And one of the other guys that were calling out the clickbaiters is Cop Pizzle, giant YouTuber. I had him on episode three. That was all the way back in April. If you guys want to watch that, you know, listen to that, really, go ahead. Subscribe to him if you haven't already. Um, Cop Pizzle knows when it's clickbait. Is he an X's and O's guy? Does he know about writing articles? Of course not. He's a Giants YouTuber. And I'm not taking anything away from him. Because you can't have, in my opinion, guys in the fan base that just go over the stats. You have to have some type of entertainment. Cop Pizzle, in my opinion, is that entertainment. Whether people choose to take him seriously or they get offended by him. Because he's called out a lot of content creators. He's called out the Entertainer today. He's called out Alex Wilson of Fireside Giants, ESM. He called out, I think, The Hub. He's called out a lot of people. And, listen, that's their beef. But, he called out. A lot of the beat media's bullcrap articles and basically anyone who is basically, you know, putting that crap out there. Now, I'm going to make a point about fans because if anyone has seen Cop Pizzle's video, I commented a large thing on that. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm basically going to summarize what I put into there. Fans will be fans. That is known to man. I'm a fan. You guys are fans. Sometimes we have reactions that will say stupid shit. Let's be honest. You know, you could be an even-tempered fan that's like, oh, we gotta get him next time. 
You could be that tempered fan that says, you know, oh, fire Dave Gettleman. Uh, trade Daniel Jones. Trade Saquon. Do something like that. I don't know. But fans will always have that, you know, reaction, or at least a portion of fans will have that reaction that says, you know, trade this guy, trade that guy. I don't like him anymore. Evan Ingram is prime example. But, you know, I give the fans a little bit more leeway because it's a fan. When you're a beat reporter and you know if the Giants have sources or not, or if you're making, you know, something, I don't know, you should know not to put out that content. But why they do it anyway? For clicks? Because they don't care about a fan's opinion. And you could say, oh, you know, they respond to questions. You know what? That gets them clicks and tweets. I'm sorry. Okay? There's more to clickbait than people see. There's something called creativity that a lot of beat reporters don't know about. I'm sorry. And you know what? I'll give them credit when credit is due. You know, the sources they have, great. I don't have any sources. I have one source for the Yankees, but that's a source beyond a source beyond a source. And that source, who I used to work with, you know, he's not very, you know, he keeps things to himself. He doesn't tell anybody. And I have my own personal beefs with him. But that's another point to make. Um, going back to the clickbait and stuff. And where does the fans meet with the beat reporters? Obviously, fans like to comment to them and say, you know, the, basically vent to them after games and stuff. The beat reporters on Twitter, mostly that's where they're active, will say, you know, their opinions or whatnot. But then they'll write the stupid articles. That's where fans get sopped up in those articles. If they were actually informative and, you know, entertaining or something, you know, knowledgeable, I get it. But it's all clickbait. Let's be honest, everybody. Deshaun Watson, Giants have had no interest in him so far. Everybody and their mother is coming out with a clickbait article about that. You know, it's different. Because the entertainer, he came out with a Deshaun Watson video. He's a Giants content creator, but he said, what teams are interested? What teams are interested? What does that mean? The Giants aren't interested. Because he could have said on his video, what, uh... Giants are interested in Deshaun Watson, or I could have said, uh, should the Giants trade for Deshaun Watson? He didn't say that at all. He did not say that at all. It's what teams fit him. You know, what team should get him, like the Jets, like the Lions, or some other team like that. Okay? Bad dog. He posted on his Instagram, I would definitely trade two first-round picks, Barkley and Jones, for um, Deshaun Watson. Do I disagree with that opinion? Of course I do. Because Bad Dog, he said in his videos, he doesn't really believe Daniel Jones is the future. And he believes at some point we should trade Saquon Barkley. That portion I agree with, possibly. We have to see where this year goes, though, meaning next year. But my point is, that's an Instagram post. He didn't make a clickbait video about it. He didn't make a clickbait article. Not like Matt Labardo and all these other geeks. I know I'm using a cop pizzle term. Going back to my cop pizzle point, he actually shouted out me on his video today. Props to him uh, because I've been basically keeping up and, you know, I've been talking to him via Twitter DMs about these clickbait content creators, meaning like the beat reporters, okay? And, you know, he did call out the entertainer in his video today basically because 
entertainer in my opinion now this is coming into a little bit of a different topic um related to the giants fan base and if those of you who aren't active on twitter who are not on social media just listen to the podcast um i'm gonna give you basically my perspective on it entertainer he's like the guy that everybody loves you know everybody watches his videos they say hey entertainer what do you think about this what do you think about this and he'll give you the perspective He's one of the more, I would say, helpful guys towards young content creators and guys who just want their opinion. I had the entertainer on, I think it was last week. You know, very knowledgeable. Can't say that Pizzle is one of those guys. I love Pizzle. I think he's that fiery fan that every fan base has. Um, But the people knocking on him are mostly content creators that get called out by him for um, what Cop Pizzle think what Cop Pizzle thinks is clickbait content. Like the Alex Wilsons of this world, of ESM, Talking Giants for an example, um, they don't like him, they don't like each other, because he thinks that they're geeks. Um, I like both of them, obviously, that's why I had them on the podcast a couple of times, why I had Pizzle on, one of the first episodes, I had Justin and I had Bobby. Shout out to Bobby, though, he did meet Joe Judge and Patrick Graham at Senior Bowl. Um, I'm jealous, but anyway, that's another point right now. So what is the take from all of this and what I'm saying? Giant fans, I'm going to give you some hard-earned advice. And I used to be a fan that used to be the mainstream guy. If the Giants should trade for this guy, if the Giants should trade for that guy. Going into my content creator days, starting in April, I started realizing what content creators were feeling. And what it was like. I only have 98 subscribers on YouTube right now. And obviously, my content can always get better. I only have so many downloads per podcast episode. But I'm not quitting and giving up. That's one thing. But my point is, I've realized what content creators are under. As in terms of YouTube, I'm not talking articles. And I'll get to creativity in a moment, because I have a prime example. Content creators, you know... Their hard work is never respected by the upper top. The B-Media will acknowledge it on points. But the, like, the ESPN guys, they'll never acknowledge it. They're not in a place to, nor if it was their own time, they will never. Only a certain amount of people, that's probably a small quantity. And us going into the stats... And us going into the film and the analytics, and I'm not going to speak for all content creators, I'm just getting my perspective out there. Like, I think it was the third episode of my podcast, or the second episode, I called out Michael K, Don LaGreca, and Bart Scott. Now obviously they didn't respond because they don't watch my podcast, and I could care less if they do, because they were basically ramming on, oh, you know, Joe Judge, he's just like Belichick, you know, he's not going to work out in New York. And I basically said, first of all, buddy, you don't know what you're talking about, You're just rambling on just because Joe Judge is not naming the names of any of his players. Was that a little weird and obscure? Sure, why not? But literally, you're not a head coach. You're not in the Giants organization. And third of all, you're not a fan who pays the damn tickets to go to the games. That's what I said. You could put fan in a category. You could put sportscaster in a category. You could also put a content creator in a category. 
we break down the film, well, others break down the film, I should say. Others break down the film, break down the stats, basically look at guys in the draft and do other stuff. The sportscasters, there's no specific, oh, he's a giant sportscaster. No. Their job, ESPN New York, LA, Miami, who cares? Their job is to cover that region the area. They never, and it's more of the base of not to get too much into it and bore your audience, is that they don't go into who the Giants should pick in the draft. They don't go into film. They don't do that stuff because they have other topics to talk about. I'm talking about fan-specific content creators. You know, that's like, as I said, how many other guys that break film? But Michael Caine, Don LaGreca... During the April time regularly, and I'm saying, you know, if we didn't have the pandemic and all that stuff, if we didn't have all that, and they called out Joe Judge or whatever, saying, you know, he's a Belichickian guy, and, you know, he's going to try to make up what Belichick was in New England, they have Yankee stuff to talk about in a regular non-pandemic season. They're not going to actually go into, oh, uh, this guy had this many interceptions on the year, blah, 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 blah. One time, and this was after the first Eagles game of 2020, when we lost because Evan Ingram dropped the ball on third down, a couple other things as well. And what's his face? Michael Kay, he was using analytics, but he didn't know how to use them. He said, Andrew Thomas, you know, a guy told me that he has one of the worst pass block win rates in the NFL and it's at like 45% when the team's average is at like 86. Or at least a tackle's average is at 86. That's supporting a narrative. And the problem I have with that is that he did not use those analytics correctly. Sure, I might bring up analytics sometimes. But I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, oh, uh, this guy had a pass block win rate of this when I don't even know what the hell I'm talking about. Sure, I might not, you know, study and anticipate every link that goes in the pass block win rate. But that just shows you, you know, the media covers the headlines. They don't cover analytic stats in film. They don't do that. Going back to another conversation I had, Justin Pennick, one of the first episodes of my podcast. He, I basically remarked on the fact that Stephen A. Smith said, the Giants made a mistake. By taking Andrew Thomas, they should have taken Makai Becton, they should have taken Makai, uh, they should have taken Isaiah Simmons. And Justin said, he doesn't watch film, he doesn't know that. And it was really obscure to me as to why Stephen A. Smith said that. He doesn't know much about anything, other than the specific headlines. He's good at his job, he rants on the Knicks, fine. But when it comes to film and, you know, the scouting part of it, he doesn't know. Isaiah Simmons, the first couple years, the first couple games of the season, he was horrible at linebacker. Made his way through the rest of the season. Makai Becton, he was hurt some of the season. And people were saying, oh, Isaiah Simmons, he might play safety, he might play linebacker, he might play this. He was only going to be one position in the NFL. That's linebacker. Maybe safety sometimes. Maybe like a Dion Buchanan. But he was not playing all these corner spots like he did in Clemson. That's the part that people miss. Andrew Thomas? Other than Jedrick Wills, he was probably the best tackle in that class just looking at the draft. 
okay? Best competition did good against rushers, like Clavin Chison and a couple others. Jedrick Wills, he was in the same conference as him, the SEC, and he faced some good competition as well. The only concern was, is he going to be a right tackle or a left tackle? Because of the blind side of Tua. Because of the blind side of Tua. But my point is, they just go on the headlines and don't consider anything else. It is very rare that they remark, A, they're wrong, B, if they're wrong, it's based on analytics, film, whatever. Going back to my point about creativity in the clickbait. I'll give you guys a prime example. Now, I know this is only because he's come on the podcast and he's a good friend of mine. Jordan Levine, right? Him and I, you know, we were talking and then he, uh, thanks to me, I know I'm tooting my own horn, he came to On Air Sports Covered the Giants for a little bit. We decided to leave because of business reasons, and we started Uncut. But while he was there, he had a couple of creative ideas. Whether it was in season, whether it was, you know, not the season, whatever. He wasn't going out there making clickbait garbage and saying, oh, the Giants should trade Daniel Jones. The Giants should trade Saquon Barkley. The Giants should do this. Not unethical things that will never happen. What he did construct ideas of, though, are the following. What if Dave Gettleman was fired as Giants GM? What if Bill Belichick stayed a Giant? What if Bill Belichick came back to the Giants and had a front office role? In my opinion, seems clickbaity, but if he, give, but if he gives you a thought process that you could agree with, that is called creativity. Not some bull dinky article about the Giants trading for Deshaun Watson and why they should even though there is no connection between him and the Giants. Everything right now either points him to the Miami Dolphins or the New York Jets. In my opinion, he's going to the New York Jets as much as I hate it because I have a Jets fan brother. But that's basically my rant on all this stuff. I don't necessarily criticize fans. Fans are fans. To end this. Fans are fans. They'll think what they want. I'm a fan. But when it comes to the media... They basically know what they're doing and say, hey, let's throw out a clickbait article and, you know, they'll come running after it just to look at see what we think. Sooner the fans will wake up, sooner the frauds notice that the fans are waking up and going to YouTube. Not just for my content, because us, meaning YouTube, and I said it again, you know, I may not be speaking for all of the guys and I don't mean to. But we are more creative in our videos and our stuff like that than the people are writing the sorry-ass articles. There you go. Okay, so let's go into some less dimmer topics. Let's talk about the Yankees and the reason that Yankee Stadium is in the back of me right now. So, um, I have a couple things to break down with the Yankees, but obviously I didn't reveal it on Tuesday because... You know, I just really wanted to do a Giants episode. But the Yankees traded for Jamison Tyon um, from the Pittsburgh Pirates. It was happening for a long time, or, or at least it was, you know, in development. It was in talks. Then the Yankees finally did it. Uh, they traded for Tyon. They gave up Miguel Yajure, Ronzi Contreras, Michael Escoto, and Kanan Smith. Um, the last two prospects, I do not know. Miguel Yajure, he was okay in the major leagues last year. Wasn't necessarily... Um, a Yankee that I think they were going to hang on to. If they could trade him for somebody, I think they would. It's not like, oh, they were 
you know, willing to get rid of him. But my point is, like, you know, if they were going to get a starting pitcher, if they were going to get, uh, I don't know, a lefty or something through trade, they would probably give him up. So Yehude, Ronzi Contreras, I also know. Don't know much about him, uh, but obviously he's in Pittsburgh now. Uh, Michael Escado, don't know much about him. And Kane Smith, all I know, he, he was in Staten Island for a little bit. Um, so for Tyen, he is coming off surgery. He hasn't pitched in about almost two years, which is a little bit of a concern. But I'll read you his stats right now. Uh, 2019, which is the last year he actually pitched, he was 2-3, 7 games started, obviously injury, uh, 37.1 innings pitched, he gave up a total of 17 earned runs, 24 um, total runs, and had 30 strikeouts and 7 appearances, so he didn't necessarily do that well. Um, obviously, we're just looking at it from a little bit of a microscope, we're not saying, oh, he was bad, he was good, we also have to factor in what the Pirates were. Um, because the last couple of years, they haven't been good. Hence, why have they been trading Garrett Cole? Why have they been trading Joe Musgrove? Why have they been trading all these guys just to get younger guys? They're rebuilding. They've been rebuilding for years. And unfortunately, in the MLB, that's kind of what you have to do when you're with no salary cap. You can't just go out in free agency and get this guy and this guy and this guy. No, there's a salary threshold, but not necessarily to the extent of a salary cap like the NFL has. So, the year before, though, he went 14-10 and 10 with a 3.20 ERA. So, it's kind of been mixed results with him. Um, but he's had an over 500 win-loss percentage other than 2019. Obviously, as I said, limited opportunities for him pitching only seven starts with the injury. So, didn't pitch in 2020. I would like to see what he does in 2021. Obviously, Garrett Cole will probably be the head of rotation. Number two would probably be Corey Kluber. Number three would probably be Tyen. Um, I think you also got Domingo Herman coming back. And you also have to factor either Jordan Montgomery or Davy Garcia in there. Also to note, you have Severino coming back mid to late summer. So you're going to have to put him in a spot in there, probably three or four role, and then figure out who is going to be on the chopping block. Because the Yankees aren't going to keep, you know, this many pitchers on the roster. They're probably going to send somebody down. Which will probably lead into a players on the hot seat for spring training subject, which I have in a little bit. Um, but the Yankees also signed Darren O'Day. I was really dim on the topic of this until I looked at his statistics. Um, he's a 38-year-old pitcher. He's a sidearm guy. You really don't get those in the MLB anymore because um, I have a friend that plays baseball, travel baseball, and he said that one of the worst ways you can do damage to your elbow is by pitching sidearm. And Darren O'Day is probably one of the few pitchers left in baseball, if not the only one, other than Michael Givens, that is a sidearm pitcher. So last year for the Braves, he had, let's see how many appearances. He had 19 appearances, 4-0, 1.10 ERA. Uh, the year before, had a 1.69 ERA in eight games. Obviously didn't you know do a lot in a full season. I think he was injured. But when he was with the Orioles, he went through uh, a lot of struggles, at least towards the end of his Oriole tenure. Then I think um, Atlanta signed him, and then obviously now he's with the Yankees. So if this gives us bullpen help, sure, why not? Let's do it. Um, also, another thing to note before I get into Tanaka, the Yankees traded uh, Adam Adovino to the Red Sox for a player to be named later or cash considerations. This wasn't much of a surprise. A source... 
as I was talking before, told me, you know, oh, the Yankees are going to trade out of, you know, the Red Sox. I said, are you crazy? I think some things are more real than what you just said. So, and then hours later comes out, Yankees trade out of, you know, the Red Sox, which is really stingy in a way. And I think they obviously wanted to, you know, throw them off the roster, the $9 million, you know, they were a little bit worried about the salary threshold and the luxury tax and whatever. Um, but they tossed him to the rival. And if we can all remember, Adovino, A, was a Yankee fan growing up. And B, he still lives in New York. He lives in Park Slope, Brooklyn. Probably about mm, 40 minutes away from me, I would say. I think. I mean, by train, it's probably shorter. But he's a homegrown Yankee fan, and you're trading him the Red Sox. That can't have a good feeling. I mean, I know business is business, but, you know, you're trading him the Red Sox. Those two teams hate each other. So, I don't know if Adam Adovino has, like, any inside thoughts, you know. Um, but, obviously, he thanked the Yankees organization for having him for the two years. But, I guess it's something that the Yankees needed to do. Masahiro Tanaka is not coming back. Um, I think we knew at some point this was going to happen. He signed, I think, a one-year deal with the Tohoku Rotten Golden Eagles, or however you pronounce it. I apologize. Um, but, we knew that was going to happen. Kluber made it a little less likely when they traded for tie-in. Uh, that pretty much came to a closed door. Uh, Tanaka had a offer over there. I think it was like five years, $25 million, something like that. Um, it was like something $25 million per year or whatever. And that's where we sort of got the hint and got the figure. Masahiro Tanaka is never coming back. And of course, the New York Times Sports wrote, oh, he didn't live up to his contract. Like, dude. Are we serious right now? All of the... That's like the opposite of a clickbait article. It kind of is, but it kind of isn't. Because all of the fan base is like, you know, we miss Tanaka. You know, we um, wish we could get Tanaka back. And then you have the New York Times, you know, writing an article. Oh, uh, he made it to two All-Star games, but, you know, he never lived up to the contract. Like, what kind of stupid article are you doing, dude? Whoever invented that article or wrote it should be smacked on the hand or something. I don't know. But that's just, like, not going to get any views. It may get comments saying you're, you know, stupid or whatever. But my point is you're putting the opposite of a clickbait article out. This doesn't make a lot of sense. Anyway, will Brett Gardner be back is another topic I'm going to talk about before we get into our last uh, two topics. I don't know if he's going to be back. And for the last two to three seasons, we've been talking about this. Every single offseason, will Gardner be back on a one-year deal? Cashman never really said anything today. Um, he met with the media, but he never really said anything in terms of whether he's coming back. He also said he was a great Yankee. So, And this guy is one of the last or few Yankees to be coming up to the system. Because remember, a lot of these guys we sign and trade for. You know, um, Austin Romine was a Yankee like that. Kyle is a Yankee like that. So there's very little homegrown Yankees. Gardner is the last guy from that 2009 championship team. Which also contributes to his age and his hitting. So, and obviously, you know, if they bring him back, I would like to give Clint Frazier a shot. None of this, you know, Gardner starting half the games, Frazier starting half the games. Look. If you're signing Gardner to a one-year deal, that doesn't mean that means he's not your future left fielder. Obviously, guys like 
near 38 years old now, 37, 36. Clint Frazier, he's still young. We traded for him. He's got a good bat. Improved defense. Give him the shot in left field. And it's going to be a concern uh, whether Gardner comes back or not because they still have Mike Talkman, which is a topic I'll bring up in a little bit. Esteban Florial, they're probably keeping because last year they brought him up temporarily for like injuries or something. He didn't do that well, so his trade stock probably went down. Um, as I said, you have Talkman, you have Florial, you have Aaron Hicks. Obviously, he'll be starting in center likely. Judge, you have Stan, who's playing DH. And also you have Greg Allen, Socrates Brito. Greg Allen, I think they traded for. Socrates Brito is not on a major league contract, but will probably be invited to spring training. So he'll get a shot and a knock at being a Yankees reserve outfielder. Other guys, I really can't think of. I mean, Zach Zenner, he's a AAA guy. So again, you have to think about this stuff. But Garner coming back, he's likely not going to get the whole spot. You know, he'll get probably like 30% of playing time if we're going to average it out. They're not playing Stanton in left field. They're playing Frazier in left field, likely. And I would totally understand if they didn't bring Gardner back. I would understand that to the fullest extent. So that's where we are with that situation. So I was looking for topics, and I decided to be unlike beat reporters and get creative. So players are on the hot seat. For spring training and players are also you know looking to emerge on the roster now i'm not taking into factor who's on the 40 man who's on the you know who's not on the 40 man who's a roster invitee for spring training um i'm not really taking that into account so i'm going to go on players that who are on the hot seat going into spring training and throughout spring training mike talkman's my first one mike talkman i'm not going to go into super statistics here because i want to keep it simple talkman you know, everyone questioned, oh my God, why did we trade uh, a good guy in the minor leagues? And he wasn't a prospect, but he was good in the minor leagues. Why did we trade this guy for Mike Talkman? He's going to get us to World Series. Like, everybody's being sarcastic like that. And Talkman actually had a good 2019. I was at the Royals game where Aaron Boone got ejected, and Talkman also hit a homer. But Talkman, I think we realized last year, is in 2020. Which, obviously, we came to realize with all the Yankees is that 2019 wasn't 2020 when it came to depth. What I mean by that is that all the Yankees that got injured and all the Yankees that came up, they didn't do the same thing in 2020. It hit us on the head even harder. You know, the uh, next man up, that was 2019. 2020 was the same thing, but the result was very different. And Talkman, in my opinion, showed his true colors. That's why they didn't play him a lot. Tyler Wade. And I do not like Tyler Wade. And, you know, I don't despise him. But it's like, you know, mistakes he makes. And you could look at fielding percentage. You could look at this stat, this stat, this stat, and this stat. It's not going to tell you if a ball passes Tyler Wade by and he doesn't make a play. He's a very below average hitter. And... You know, with LeMahieu coming back and Torres playing shortstop, his position is most likely a backup second baseman, backup shortstop, backup outfielder if they even choose to put him there. Because I know that he played there in the minor leagues. Which we'll also talk about another infielder on the opposite side of things, Miguel Andujar. So, Giovanni Urshela, Brian Cashman said today, you know, he's expected to be ready for spring training. Which obviously, you know, is where it's at because he's recovering from surgery removing a bone spur 
So this is his last shot, and I mean last shot. The trade value has gone down for him. I think he did better towards the end of the season last year compared to when he came in. He was hitting like oh something, and they sent him down to the minor leagues, a.k.a. the alternate training site. And then when he came back up, he started hitting a little bit hotter. Obviously, the average you know final on the year was like 240. But he's not great defensively, and Urshela obviously is a better option. But if you don't want Tyler Wade, and I don't think Tyler Wade plays a lot of third base, if at all. Um, but this is Andujar's last chance before, and I'm not saying he's going to get cut or anything, but traded or, you know, whenever his contract ends, he gets into free agency. But I think the Yankees had a better chance of trading him in 2019, 2020 more than they do this year. Because they know, meaning other teams know, that his trade value has gone down. Um... Would I like to see Andujar on this roster? Sure, but please show me the results. Don't just sit there and you know hit 190. The next guy is Luis Sessa. Ever since we traded for him, seems like a bust. And in 2016, he was pretty good opposite of Chad Green. Meaning that Green wasn't doing that well. The tables flipped in 2017. Sessa was bad, Green was good. Green has flip-flopped for the last couple of years, but we're focusing on Luis Sessa right now, okay? We're focusing on Sessa, so for the last couple of years, ever since 2017, he's been horrible. If he has any sort of decent pitching left in him, he could probably be a middle reliever or a bullpen guy that goes for bullpen days, like a Loisica, but I don't have that much faith in him. So it's going to be really interesting to see what the Yankees will do for spring training with him. Ben Heller's another one. We traded for him in the Clint Frazier deal with Justice Sheffield and all these guys. We gave up Andrew Miller, obviously. But Heller has not been the reliever that the Yankees, I think, were looking for. He was injured how many times? He had surgery. I think he was out for a full year in like 2019, 2020. One of those years. Just hasn't been that guy. And I think that this is his last straw for him. As I said, I'm not going to pull out stats and, you know, pull out this analytic garbage. But my point is, you know, he hasn't been there enough to contribute to where you could say, oh, you know, that trade uh, worked out in a Ben Heller fashion where he's a constant contributor to the bullpen. No, you can't say that. Jordan Montgomery, um, I think this is one of his final shots as a Yankees reliever. Um, Partly note and due to the fact that he didn't pitch well last year and the fact that the Yankees are doing their Yankee thing of trusting traded pitchers and acquired pitchers and free agent pitchers rather than they trust their young staff. And I said a couple of minutes ago, what I said was, is that you have three core starters. Then you have Herman, Garcia, Clark Schmidt possibly, and you also have Montgomery. Montgomery pitched okay in 2019, coming back from surgery. 2020 wasn't that great. Good starts here, bad starts here, more than bad starts. So, and I really liked him in 2017 when he made his debut. Unfortunately, he hasn't panned out to this far, unfortunately. And that's basically what I have to say on him and the players who are on the hot seat for spring training. So players that can emerge onto the roster in spring training. And basically take a spot from somebody. Dibby Garcia is one of them. Uh, pitched well last year. I think he was like 3-2, and 3-3. Three and three. Um, 
I think that he could be a dark horse candidate to go on the roster. Um, just a very good prospect. Obviously, during those exhibition games, he wasn't pitching that well against Philly. You know, he had a couple of misplaced balls when it came to targeting. You know, where Sanchez was putting up, he wasn't targeting that well. Um, but obviously, the main step when you learn baseball is you, you can't just look at where the catcher is targeting. You have to look and just throw it in there. And he wasn't getting his, you know, pitch location correct. And there was a lot of problems. But I think he progressed through the season. So he is one of those players, Albert Abreu. Uh, I'm pretty sure he got called up last year if he didn't. Uh, my mistake. But I think he's another dark horse to be on this roster. Um, next one's Estevan Florial. Don't know much about him, obviously. But, again, going back to what I said, his trade value has gone down a little bit. And people years ago were predicting that he'd be the future outfielder, that if Hicks doesn't come back, if this guy doesn't come back, that he's going to be a part of the outfield. Doesn't look that way right now because A. Clint Frazier, Aaron Judge, and also Aaron Hicks is still on that 10-year contract extension, going back from 2019, I believe. Then he had to get surgery, but that's a different point to me. Tyro Estrada. I really like this guy. Um, I think he's going to be that speedy... Decent fielder that the Yankees need. He's not going to be a home run hitter, though, during the exhibition games last year. He did hit a couple of homers. I would prefer him over Tyler Wade if I could see what um, Estrada would do in a longer span of playing time. So that's what I think there. Clark Schmidt. I didn't really like his pitching last year, but that, in my opinion, was not all his fault. Um, I think they really in my opinion, abused the situations that he was in. Because you look at the Blue Jays game where we sincerely got blown out and there was like that 10-run bullpen inning. Basically, when the Yankees knew that the game was over, they put him in and said, you know what? It's just like putting in a backup quarterback when you know the game is over. You can't do that with a prospect. And if you want him to develop into a starting pitcher, you're going to need him treat you're going to need to treat him. You're going to need to treat him better than just like garbage. Nick Nelson, um, I really liked his stuff until that one Philly doubleheader last year. I think he could emerge on the roster. And Michael King, I really don't like him. As of right now, I'm not going to say, oh, trade him, this, that, and the other thing. But he's really given me PTSD of Chance Adams. And I wanted Chance Adams to work out. Unfortunately, he didn't. But Michael King, obviously, will see probably more playing time, pitching time, whatever. Um, they tried using him as like one of the middle relievers, the bullpen games and you know that stuff. So we'll see what he's got. But I'm starting to really think that some of this has to do with Matt Blake's coaching as a pitching coach. You know, we complained about Larry Rothschild, but in the final year of his contract or whatever, the bullpen did great. 2020 when Matt Blake was hired because of analytics, that's where it came into. So that basically wraps up this episode of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. I emerged both topics, but obviously there's you know a longer extent of the Yankees and then the Giants. But uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel, turn the notifications on so you can join the conversation whenever I put out a video. I will be streaming on YouTube more probably next Sunday before the Super Bowl or at least a couple hours before because Sportscaster, um, everything was fake on there. Every donation was fake. Every bot was fake you know it was a bad scheming way of business that they did and i would like an explanation it's not like i got ripped off or anything but you know 
gives you audience or it says it does and it really doesn't so that's what that is uh definitely follow the twitter and instagram accounts at big blue in the bronx and also go listen to our podcast on the platforms of spotify podbean and all the other uh platforms as well thank you guys for watching thank you guys for listening (laughs) 